The idea that all students should be taught and assessed based on content aligned to their grade level has long been a guiding principle for standards-based school reform. But is that always what's best for each child? Or could an exclusive focus on grade level content leave important gaps in student learning unaddressed? With learning gaps poised to grow due to COVID-related school closures, is it time to rethink one of American education reform's core commitments? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and my guest today is Joel Rose. Joel's a co-founder and chief executive officer at New Classrooms, an organization that partners with schools to implement innovative instructional models, including its flagship Teach to One personalized learning program. He's also the author of a new article headlined The Grade Level Expectations Trap, How Lockstep Math Lessons Leave Students Behind, that will appear in the summer 2020 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. Joel, welcome to the EdNext podcast. Thanks, Marty. It's great to be with you. This article was finalized well before the scope of the crisis facing our nation and its schools became clear. But as I note in the editor's letter for the summer issue, the problem that it identifies has taken on special resonance in light of our current situation. What is that problem? What is the iceberg problem as you describe it in the article? Well, <clears throat> Marty, to understand the iceberg problem, we have to remember that one, math is cumulative, that the skills and concepts kids learn in one grade are required to advance uh, further. The second is that today's policies, the assessment and accountability policies, incentivize teachers to always focus on grade level standards because that's what's going to appear on the end of year test. And as a result, students are actually falling further behind. Many of administrators and policymakers are focused on performance on year-over-year -year state tests. How do kids do in the sixth grade test or the seventh grade test or the eighth grade test? But by what they're not seeing in just looking at those tests is the unfinished learning that is then accumulating below the surface. Because without addressing that unfinished learning, it's very hard for students to actually advance. And as you explained in the article, you became aware of the iceberg problem through your work in schools to implement a program called Teach to One. What is Teach to One and how did it reveal to you the scope of the problem? Sure, so Teach to One is an innovative learning model that's operating in roughly 35 schools across the country. The way it works is if you imagine you're a seventh grader and it's time for math class, instead of walking into room 105, you walk into what's typically a big open space with lots of different stations. In some stations, kids work with teachers. In some stations, kids work with software. In some stations, kids work with one another. When you walk in for math, you look up and you see a big TV monitor that looks like what you might see at the airport. You see your name and you see where you're supposed to go. So you might spend the first 30 minutes working with the teacher in linear equations, the next 30 minutes working with some software in linear equations, and then the last 10 minutes, you take an online assessment in linear equations, and then you're off to social studies. We then take the data from that exit slip and create a new schedule for you for tomorrow based on how you did today. So it's a program that's adapting to the needs of each student. And this approach is clearly meant to try to identify at the individual student level gaps in learning and make sure that they are remediated if they're a barrier to moving forward. Is that right? Exactly. And so the way the model had worked for, for several years is if, let's say, you were in seventh grade, we would pick a seventh grade concept. And then we put on your personalized curriculum any pre-grade gaps you needed to fill in service of ultimately succeeding with that seventh grade skill. Then they go to the next one and do the same thing. 
what was happening in many schools is school leaders were saying, look, I love this whole personalized learning thing, but my kids are going to take the seventh grade test at the end of the year. And every day you spend on a pre-grade skill is one less day you have to cover all the stuff that's going to be on the test. So can you please just put a floor in, don't let any kid go more than one year below grade level so we can optimize exposure to grade level content. And how do you respond to those requests? Well, in some cases we, we shifted the program to do that and then we wanted to carefully learn about what the impact of that was. And so um, uh, McGrady Research and a study funded by the Gates Foundation looked at all the students we served over three years uh, and found that um, while across the whole portfolio, kids grew 20 percentile points uh, on NWA map, those that put in that floor grew roughly seven percentile points, while those that didn't put in the floor grew close to 40 percentile points. And when you looked at which schools were making these requests, which were putting in these floors, it turned out to have a lot to do with how the schools themselves were evaluated by state or district accountability systems. Is that right? Precisely, precisely. In, in most districts or states, success is measured based on end of year performance on the state test. And even those who say they look at growth, looking at growth on a state test, the, the test itself is only made up of grade level items. It's really not growth. It's just changes in relative proficiency. But in some communities, they measure success on the basis of growth on adaptive tests like NWA MAP. They basically have their own accountability system that they pay more attention to than the federal and state accountability system. And in those cases, <clears throat> we didn't need to put it in the floor. And so this is not something that states can currently do under the federal requirements of the Every Student Succeeds Act, but you're saying that there's some places where the most salient accountability system facing the schools was in a position to measure growth in a more continuous way. Precisely. So take, for example, Chicago Public Schools. Chicago for years has always used the NWA map as the basis for its district-wide accountability system. Students still take the state test, but it's not at all the focus of how the district operates relative to the map. And so because of that, we didn't have to put in those types of floors. Now, this idea that math is cumulative and that prior gaps can inhibit students' ability to make progress has always been something educators have been aware of. And in fact, this notion of spiraling in curriculum where key concepts are refreshed and repeated from one year to the next, why isn't that enough to ensure that students have the skills that they need to make progress in their expected grade levels content? Well, spiraling is important. It does help to solidify knowledge that students have and apply it to future grades. The challenge is that many students are coming in one, two, three or more years behind. So let's just take one particular grade level skill. That skill might have four predecessor skills from prior years and each of those may have three or four predecessor skills. And on top of that, each student may actually have their own knowledge base for how, what they know relative to each of those skills. So the fact that a teacher may go back and, and cover a pre-grade skill as part of the core curriculum, it certainly isn't a bad thing, but the chances that that is going to hit exactly the skill that each student needs in order to succeed with grade level material is much more remote than people realize. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the interview, this notion that we need to make sure that students are making their way through grade level content, that is content aligned to their current enrolled grade level, has been one of the cornerstones really of the standards-based reform movement in American education. And I imagine that a lot of people, when they hear you advancing 
the kind of argument that you advance in the article that you're advancing right now in this conversation, begin to worry about lowering expectations. This idea that if we teach to where students are rather than where they need to be in order to be college and career ready, uh, that this is going to end up preventing them from ultimately emerging from K-12 education ready for the next stage. How do you think about those concerns? Are they worth taking seriously? Absolutely. Um, we've had decades where um, many schools have just not, not had high enough expectations of students and where remediation isn't temporary, it's endless. And so we can't go back to those days. I wanna be clear about this. The bar is the same, college and career readiness. We cannot compromise on that bar one inch. But the way the standards movement has been implemented is there is the standard path to get there. You learn fifth grade stuff in fifth grade and sixth grade stuff in sixth grade, and seventh grade stuff in seventh grade, and that's the path. And that path works for about 30 to 40% of kids. The challenge is that sometimes kids fall off that path for whatever reason. Maybe they had a poor teacher, maybe there were attendance issues, maybe there were social emotional issues, whatever the case may be, kids will fall off of that path. And there really aren't any good ways to get them back on. The expectation is simply that the next year's teacher is somehow gonna have to make up for whatever happened the previous year. And then that is supposed to just happen organically over time. That actually results in inequitable outcomes because it doesn't provide all students with the same opportunity to get to the same benchmark. So let's say that we're convinced by your analysis and we wanna think about what the key barriers are to acting on it. One of them is the federal requirement that I mentioned a moment ago that says that all students in grades three through eight must take a state test that's aligned to their enrolled grade level. But I wonder how much of it is also not just the content of the test, but the strategies that educators think is the most effective way of preparing students for those tests. So I guess my question is, could we work on changing educators' mindsets so that in order to enhance students' performance on the state test, they know that they need to take seriously addressing these prior gaps in knowledge. Could we make that mind shift without actually changing the test administration system itself? Well, I think both are important. And I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think that if we just changed the test administration system that the, all of our problems would be solved because in many cases, the sixth grade teachers are used to teaching sixth grade material and the same with the seventh and the same with the eighth. Um, what I do think is, is, is more feasible is we begin to think differently about this notion of, uh, of grade levels. There are roughly 300 mathematical skills that kids need from the time they get past basic numeracy in order to be college and career ready. Um, if a student starts learning those in the fifth grade, knowing none of them, they could learn just about one a week and get through all 300 before they graduated. And one a week is a painfully slow process if you're giving students the right skill at the right time. So I, I think, Marty, the solution isn't, isn't just to change teacher mindsets, is we actually re need to think about how we reimagine school itself and the classroom itself so that it is organized and structured to meet each student's unique needs uh, as opposed to just expecting that teachers can somehow both diagnose and fill whatever needs students happen to have at a particular point in time. Now Teach to One is a program that's focused on math instruction and the examples that you've used to illustrate the iceberg problem 
in our conversation and in the article are math specific. You started out by noting that math is a cumulative subject. So is the iceberg problem specific to math or does it apply more generally across the K-12 curriculum? You know, Marty, our expertise is really in math. Um, I'm sure some of the principals do because to some degree, learning is cumulative in, in, in almost every subject, but I don't know that the, that, that the nature of the humanities sort of lend itself to the same um, types of dependencies uh, as mathematics lends itself to. You may not need to master, for example, every single aspect of the Revolutionary War in order to study the Civil War. Um, a lot would help, the more the better, but I don't think you need to know it in much the same way that you do need to know how to determine the radius of a circle in order to figure out the volume of a cone or, 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 or things along, along those lines. So let's talk about the situation we find ourselves in right now with schools closed, at least the physical buildings closed around the nation, students engaging in various forms of remote learning, but with little expectation, it seems that they will make as much progress as they would have had they been enrolled in school as usual. Um, how does your understanding of the iceberg problem influence how you think about the challenges we'll be facing heading into the 2020-2021 school year and what schools need to be able to do in order to respond? I think it's a healthy thing to begin to explore this idea of learning loss. But we shouldn't kid ourselves into thinking that before coronavirus, students were going to show up next fall perfectly on grade level. Learning loss has been accumulating for years for reasons having nothing to do uh, with the virus itself. What is different now is that learning loss is impacting far more students far more severely than what, was, than what the case was uh, before the virus. And I think the question that school operators are going to have to think about as they move into the next school year is you're gonna have to answer one critically important question. Do you want to address learning loss on the basis of coverage? In other words, what are the skills you don't think were actually taught over the course of three to four months kids were out? Or do you wanna use this opportunity to address learning loss on the basis of mastery? To truly explore exactly what particular gaps students have and provide them with an instructional experience that will allow them to address those gaps. I think if we just go back to coverage and we go back to just making sure stuff was taught, uh, we will have squandered an opportunity to really reimagine what school could be so that it works far better for each kid. So to some extent, I hear you saying that the scope of the problem, the sheer number of students that are going to have gaps in their prior mastery creates a opportunity to make this mind shift that you are arguing is essential if we're going to figure out how best to support students so that they emerge from K-12 education, college and career ready, is that right? That's right. And I, I think what educators are going to find are, is number one, um, parents are going to be expecting um, solutions to address the learning loss that they know their children have. Um, two, a number of their teachers are gonna come back saying, you know, this remote learning thing, it wasn't nearly as good as being in school, but there are some things that I used in, in the context of remote learning that I wanna bring back into my classroom to enable uh, a much more tailored approach for my students. And number three, I think there's a big question mark about what assessment and accountability is gonna look like when we get back. So when you think about these forces that are now at play right now, there is a real opportunity for forward thinking school operators to ask the question, uh, should we think a little bit differently 
uh, about how we come back to school than before we left. My guest today has been Joel Rose, co-founder and CEO of New Classrooms and author of The Grade Level Expectations Trap, available now at educationnext.org. Joel, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thank you, Marty. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to the Ednext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.